In those days, a decree went out from Caesar, and so everyone went to their town to be registered. Joseph went up from Nazareth to the city of Bethlehem along with Mary. And when they were there, it came time for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in cloth, and laid him in a manger. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the field at night and keeping watch over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born. For you who is the Messiah, the Lord. See everybody, it's just a great weekend. I'm a, I'm a Wolverine, that's all I'm gonna say. You know, start throwing tomatoes. Uh, yeah, so if you don't know who I am, my name is Hezekiah Trevino, I'm one of the pastoral residents here at RIV, and uh, yeah, I'm just super excited for this series, uh, just because, yeah, it just means we're getting closer to Christmas, and Christmas is like the best time of the year, at least for me. Uh, and But I think, like, going through these names throughout this series, it's super important. And because it it, it means a lot, right, learning what these names mean. Now, it could be that I'm getting old, because I feel like every generation talks about the next generation in some way. Um, And I'm almost 30, so I might be getting at that peak where I'm going to start talking about the next generation. But... (laughs) Uh, you know, uh, I don't know if it's just me, but I just feel like this next generation, when they come to naming their kids, it's like all about the uniqueness of their name, right? It's not really about the meaning of their name. Nobody's like, yeah, my name means strength. You know, you know it's always just like, yeah, my name has like two L's in it, and it's like no syllables. You know, it's, it's always something like different, right? And Because the, the uniqueness of the name isn't just like, it's being unique. It's usually just the spelling of the name that makes it unique. And uh, here's what I mean. For example, the name Michael, classic name, right? Like everybody knows a Michael, usually spelled M-I-C-H-A-E-L. Just good, good, solid name. But the problem now, though, is that when people try to get unique, they change the spelling of names. And so instead of the traditional way of spelling it, here are some of the ways that I've seen Michael spelled, all right? So we have, you know, again, the classic A-E, but this, it might have deceived you. They switch around the A and the E, right? You guys see it? Yeah. Unique, right? (laughs) Unique. Uh, Or they just spelled it wrong on the birth certificate. Uh, And then this next one, Michael with a K. That's kind of common, right? You start seeing that a lot more just... Who needs a CH, right? Just throwing a K. Um, or this next one, Michael with a Y. Keep the CH, throwing the Y, get rid of the E. We don't need an E. Michael, all right? Uh, or, or this one, this one's kind of weird, Michael, right? 
who needs syllables? Uh, sometimes why? Uh, or this one, this one's always crazy. Seeing this, Michael with the umlaut over the E. Those call right, the umlaut. And now this is like, if you're from Germany or something, you know, it's like, makes sense. But normally it's like some guy from Cincinnati or something, you know? Like, bro, you're from Cincinnati. You got it, you need an umlaut. Uh, or this, is, this one's crazy, all right? This is this last one. Michael. It's like at this point, he's just changed the name, you know? Like, somebody hears... I'm going to get an email from somebody like that. Uh, now, nothing against these spellings. I just feel bad because a lot of times people, like, take their names really seriously. And uh, I don't know, you know any people like that? Like, if they mispronounce your name, they get really upset. Anybody know? If you're not raising your hands, it's probably you. You're the one. Like, those people that get upset when you mispronounce their name or you misspell their name, like, I understand, though. Like, it's nothing against that because names mean a lot to people, right? Now, of course, I'm not one of those people. If you haven't noticed, my name's kind of unique in itself. Uh, I actually gave up on people spelling and saying my name right a long time ago. So uh, all throughout school, you know, with... Uh, Teachers and sub, especially substitute teachers. Uh, some of the names I got: Hezekiah, Hezekiah, or the famous uh, Trevino. I don't. I'm not even going to attempt to say your first name. So you know. Side note: Off topic too. Like, I know who reads their Bible when they can't. Who reads their Bible and does it when they could say my name right? And it's always awkward when somebody's like in church and they're like. Oh, that's a crazy name. I'm like, it's in the Bible. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's, always, it's always awkward, though. Anyways, it's why I have so many nicknames. And if you ask me, and they're like, what do you want? What should I call you? Hezekiah's a long name. I'll just be like, doesn't matter. Everybody calls me everything. Uh, but what I found is that although I may not really care about, like, the nicknames people give me, I do really appreciate when people say my name right, or they spell it, especially if they spell it right. I'm like, wow, you, you got it right. It means a lot, and because it's my name, right? Like, it's, it, it always feel good, it always feel good when people get your name right, especially if it's hard. Um, and as we talk about, I'm bringing this up because as we talk about names and nicknames of Jesus throughout this series, I think... This title, this name that we're talking about today is Son of Man. It's probably one of the most unique and interesting names given to Jesus. Mainly because Jesus is referred to the Son of Man about 80 times throughout the gospel. That's a lot of times. <laughs> but what makes it even more interesting is that Jesus is the only person that refers to himself as the Son of Man in the Gospels. Seriously, like the majority of the times he references himself in the Gospels, he uses the name the Son of Man. Outside of the Gospels, the only other clear person that calls him uh, Son of Man is Stephen before he's stoned in the book of Acts. So it, it seems that this name, Son of Man, 
is a name that Jesus almost prefers. It's the name he almost always uses, which is crazy because it's crazy to think about considering all the other names he could have picked from, right? Or he could use all the time. I mean, think about it. Uh, some, every time he referred to himself, uh, he could have used the titles Son of God. He uses it sometimes, right? Son of God, Emmanuel, that's a cool name, God with us, King of Kings. Every time he talked about himself, the King of Kings says this, the Messiah says this, but instead the majority of the time, Jesus references himself in in his encounters with others. Uh, It's met with him stating he is the Son of Man. Again, I don't know about you, but that just seems so anticlimactic, right? It's, it just doesn't seem as important as some of the other names. But what makes this name so interesting, uh, or that's what makes this name so interesting, and it, it makes us ask these questions. Number one, what is Son of Man? What does that even mean? Where does that come from? Why did Jesus call himself son of man? Like why this name? Why, what are the implications of this name? And why did he use this a majority of the time? More than any other name. Like what is the significance of this specific name? And this is what we're gonna talk about today. Uh, What is son of man? Like where did this come from? Well, when we look at the Old Testament, a majority of the times we see a few instances where this uh, comes up. In one instance, we find that is actually a common name given to some of the prophets. Uh, some of the prophets, and uh, we actually see it used most of the time in the book of Ezekiel, where Ezekiel is called "Son of Man" like ninety times, usually by God. And what's interesting is that. Uh, when the name Son of Man is used for Ezekiel, it isn't like some big elaborate like Son of Man. Like it's not some big elaborate name. It's, it, it, there's really no importance behind it. It isn't some honorable title to have. It's just essentially pointing out his humanity, that he's just a man. God calls Ezekiel Son of Man as a way of like pointing out that he's human and God is God. So in a way, I do believe that uh, this name that Jesus uses speaks to Jesus' humanity. It speaks to Jesus being 100% human, but we can't forget that Jesus is also a part of the Godhead in the Trinity. So he is also God. Colossians 2, 9 says, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. So which one is it? Is he 100% human or is he God? Yes. Right, like he's both. And that's why I think that although this name is used a lot uh, for some of the prophets and speaking to their humanness as, as people, we, we still have to consider the other aspect of Jesus, his power 
in authority. And there's actually one more place in the Old Testament that I feel Jesus pulls this title, Son of Man, from. It's, it's more likely that when Jesus uses this name, Son of Man, he's referencing Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14. Because this is a notable verse of power and authority and prophecy of the coming Messiah of Jesus. And in this passage in Daniel, we see Daniel giving a vision of the Ancient of Days, God, sitting on the throne. There's also a lot of mentioning of these weird, like, beasts with, like, a bunch of horns and heads and uh, representing some of the major empires of that time and who are going to be destroyed. But then Daniel says this in the middle of all, all this. He says, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. See, Jesus isn't just using this name just because. He understands that this name carries some weight. And I love that the, uh, an article is added to the beginning of this title, Son of Man, whenever Jesus uses it. He adds the article, the. The Son of Man. It sounds small, but I think it's intentional. Jesus is not just Son of Man like Ezekiel, but he becomes the Son of Man. But that brings up the next question. So why did Jesus call himself Son of Man then? Well, for one, I think it's because it fulfills prophecy, right? Like it fulfills prophecy like this passage in Daniel 7 we just read. Jesus knows that his audience, especially the Jews and these teachers, were aware of this prophecy in Daniel 7. And so when they hear that name, Son of Man, they know it points to the permanence of his kingship, right? The everlasting is... is kingdom. And I know this because whenever Jesus references himself as the son of man, it, he is usually talking from a point of authority and power. Mark 2, where he tells the paralytic man that he says, the, the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. It's coming from a place of power, of, of authority or later on where he tells the Pharisees in the field that the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. That's not some scrub. <laughs> or in Matthew where he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. That's a powerful picture. This name Son of Man comes with a lot of understanding that is connected to power and authority, and it carries a lot of weight. But then you have to ask the question, why narrow in on this one prophecy, this one passage? Why choose Daniel 7 when there's so many other like, names and, and prophecies that you could have chose from? 
Well, I think, one, this is a way of Jesus modeling humility. It's no secret that Jesus was not all about power dynamics and, and, and exhibiting his power over others. Jesus hung out with the lowest in society. He healed those around him that most people wouldn't even want to go near. He even washed the feet of his own disciples. In fact, Jesus states in Matthew 20, for even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's this like dual meaning of both humility and power and authority packed in this one name, Son of Man. And it accurately reflects Jesus and who he is. So why did he use this name more than any other name? Like, why this name? Well, practically, I think uh, it was intentional in showing others that at the time that it's not just, Jesus is not just some demigod like all the other religions around him. Like Pastor James explained last week, talking about the Son of God. There's a lot of people claiming to be Son of God. It was, common, it was a common title for people. There were leaders, emperors, warlords, pharaohs who took pride in people thinking they were God or partly God. So if Jesus just came around and all he talked about was being God and the son of God and showboating his power, that wouldn't have been anything new to the people. People have already heard that before. They almost assumed that would happen if someone had a power and authority like Jesus had. Also, there was already an expectation from Jesus uh, or from the Jews that when the true Messiah came, he would deliver them from the Roman Empire. <laughs> they were expecting some battle warrior of sorts. But as we learned, that was never Jesus' intention. He was there to save them in a completely different way, not just from a temporary physical situation they were in, he says in Luke 19, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. So I think Jesus probably uses Son of Man more often to avoid some of this, the misconceptions that come from the other titles of his. Redirecting the focus away from any earthly kingdom position. So as you can see, this, this title, Son of Man, it is filled with a lot. It's so different from any other name that you would expect. And I think that's why Jesus uses it so much. It's a name that has power and authority and expectation. But at the same time, it's a name that, uh, that reflects Jesus. Jesus' intentional identification with humanity. He chooses a title that speaks directly to the human experience. And in doing so, he signals not only his, his divinity, but also his solidarity with the everyday challenges, uh, joys, and sorrows that define the human condition. Okay, so 
what does all this have to do with uh, the verses that we just read? The genealogy, right? The beginning of Matthew. Well, I think this idea of Jesus being the son of man and all the implications that come from this name is present in this lineage at the beginning of the book of Matthew. Now, lineages are probably boring today. It's probably something we just skip over. Can't even pronounce the names. Um, but back in the day, lineages were really important. I mean, just think about it. They're, they were a form of, of showing the legitimacy of, of a person, especially kings. If you were from a royal lineage, you were important. You were probably put in a place of authority and power simply off of your family lineage. So just for Matthew to start this book off with a lineage shows that he's trying to legitimize Jesus and who he is. He's explaining who Jesus is. And what's amazing is that from this lineage alone in the beginning of Matthew, Jesus checks off all the boxes of what the Jews were expecting of the coming Messiah. He fulfills all the prophecies they were expecting. As you can see, he's from the line of Abraham. And King David, he's got that, and you know, him and his, his bloodline, that's, that's huge. He comes from the lineage of one of the most important figures in the history of the Jewish people, King David, which also shows that he has kingship in his blood. You can't argue that he is the son of God, the Messiah. But what is incredible is that although this lineage fulfills all these expectations and, and prophecy, it's completely different than what anyone else could have imagined because in this lineage, there were also some questionable people in history that no ordinary king would want included in their own lineage. I mean, just imagine you were made king. If it was me, I would want, you know, I would want my resume to look the best it ever could look. I would probably exclude anything and anybody that would change how someone viewed me and the legitimacy of my kingship. Some of you guys don't even want somebody, some people in your family tree right now. That's like that awkward uncle or something, you know, like. But here in the opening of Matthew, we see that he intentionally adds some questionable people onto his list because in this lineage, there are people like Rahab the prostitute and Ruth, the, the, the Moabite immigrant both of who were not even Jews. There's also some other names on there. There's like, who the heck is that guy? They don't seem important. But it's all intentional. 
Because not only does Jesus check all the boxes off of everything the Jews expected from the Messiah, Jesus also checks off all the boxes for all the non-Jews too. And this is significant because Jesus, the Son of Man, is the connection between us and God. He came as 100% human, uh, but he still... God, he takes on the title Son of Man, displaying his humility and willingness to be present alongside creation. There's no other God or religion like that. There's no other God or son of God who, who would willingly humble himself to be born in a manger in the middle of nowhere in an irrelevant city. To be subject to a human body, to die on the cross for the sins of the world, to live a selfless life for his own creation? Where is that at? So I get confused when people talk about, gee, yeah, they're just, you know, you're just mindless following this God who just wants to, to control you. It's like, what? Did you read the Bible? This is why it's good news, because this is who I serve. It's why Christianity is so different. It's why I'm so passionate about spreading this news. I mean, listen to this description from Jesus from Isaiah 53. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses, and he carried our pains. But we, in turn, regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted, but he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned our own way, for the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. This is the God, this is Jesus, this is the Jesus that we serve. You see, names matter. Jesus is the King of Kings. He is the Messiah. He is Emmanuel, God with us, but he is also the Son of Man. That's the name he chose to use. Jesus, although he was a fulfillment of prophecy in the eternal King, he chose to be called the Son of Man. He identified with our humanity so that we could be bought into his divinely royal family. Like as we saw in the genealogy in Matthew, Jesus' lineage has some questionable people. 
But this just shows that Jesus, the Son of Man, makes room for all people in his kingdom. His family tree includes both Jews and Gentiles, both the honored and the marginalized. And just as Rahab and Ruth were included into the royal bloodline and Solomon who made so many mistakes, we too are welcome into Christ's royal family when we put our faith in him. No one is excluded or deemed unworthy prostitutes, immigrants, sinners of all kinds. None are turned away by the Son of Man who gave his life for the salvation of all. And as we wrap up, I just, I just want you to remember that you have a place and purpose in this family. You belong. Because Jesus is not just this uh, power-hungry being that is looking mindlessly uh, for followers, you know, like these robots. No, like he is looking to add you into this beautiful royal family. And guess what? You don't have to earn your spot because you already bought with the price that Jesus paid. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, just for you being you. Just for your, your example of humility, your willingness to get down low with creation, to, to experience hurt and pain and suffering and just experience the human condition. I just... Thank you that you just showcase to us who you are, truly. God, I just ask that as we go out through the week that we just remember who you are. That you're not this faraway God figure that's just unreachable. That you're not just some power-hungry uh, God in the sky just looking down and wanting us to mindlessly follow you, but you are present with us. That you want, to, you want to know us. That you want us included into your family. I just help, ask that you just give us grace as we go up uh, throughout the weeks and that we just remember who you truly are. I ask all this in your name. Amen.